Welcome to the On The Road live show this Saturday morning. I'm John Marucci, creator of the On The Road YouTube channel that provides RPOD and RV specific videos to help in your RV travel experience. The purpose of the On The Road live show is to provide a place to interact in community, get questions answered, and stay current on RV news, trends, and resources. Of course, anyone, no matter the experience level, is welcome to participate and ask questions and interact. It's good to have you on the show today and nice to connect with each of you live. Feel free to put in the chat what location you're logging in from. Also, to ask a question, just put the word QUESTION in all caps in front of your comment so we can see it easily. On today's show, we'll start by covering a few RV sanitation questions asked by viewers, then look at recent RV news. In Newbie Corner, we'll look at tips to extend time between hitting the dump station. <clears throat> in our Spotlight segment, we'll look at a piece of safety gear and take a closer look at a great RPOD resource. You want to stick around for the live Q&A round as we'll take your RV questions. So good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining. Just looking at the chat session here. Paul, I see you there. Thanks, Paul, for joining. And Diane, Jenny, <clears throat> and Donnie. So many people uh, from different places. I see Donnie, you're from North Carolina. Thanks for joining today. Diane from Winter Haven and Zach from Seattle. So we have people all over the country uh, right now, it looks like. So appreciate everybody joining today. I think it's going to be a good show. Brian, uh, see you there at Orlando, one of my favorite places. Uh, Jeff from upstate New York, great. We have people represented from pretty much all over the country, so great to see you guys here this morning. One moment here. <clears throat> Clear my throat. Sorry about that. So uh, I just welcome everyone, and thank you for uh, being a part of the show. Uh, see you there from Bozeman, Montana. Uh, thanks for joining. So it's great to have a representation from pretty much everywhere. I know uh, we had some big storms come through last night here in West Michigan, but uh, still able to do this even with a power outage, so it's kind of interesting to see if we could come on, but we did. We got the power back, and I know it's been a mix of weather here this week, but kind of nice days and kind of some tough days too. So, Okay, so let's go ahead and hop on here. Appreciate everyone again joining. So today's question, the question segment of the show, is about answering a question or two about a specific relevant topic. These are usually gleaned from viewers' follow-up questions from our various videos that we have. Today's questions come from the Dump Station Basics video on the channel. You know, as we go along, if the discussion spurns any questions at all, just feel free to ask away in the chat. So here we go. Our first question is from Michael. He says, thanks, John. I love your videos, and this one is one of the best. One question you didn't cover is where do you store the sewer hose? I know some people seal it up in a plastic tub while others slide it into the bumper. And that's true. And Michael has a good question here because, you know, oftentimes it's difficult to know, especially if you're just getting started, like what to do with some of the equipment. And it's especially important with your sewer hose after you dump to carefully take care of that, obviously, right? Because of sanitation purposes. So there's, I can think of four different places you can store your sewer hose. The first one is a bumper. If you have a bumper that has one of the uh, caps that can come off and put it in there, I know the R-Pods, like my R-Pod 2017-179, has a big hose carrier underneath the frame that you can put your uh, sewer hose into after you're done. I personally, I use a five-gallon bucket that has a lid, especially if I'm just doing kind of weekend camping or lower, uh, uh, shorter trips. I'll just take that sewer hose. I usually just have one sewer hose when I'm doing shorter trips, and I'll just put it in the five-gallon bucket and then take care of it and clean it really well when I get home. When I do longer trips, however, I have a big, I have a bigger, uh, 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 basically a, a bigger um, container, big yellow container that I put several hoses in because if I'm doing a longer trip, 
then what happens is I have to take more than one hose because the 179 has two outlets, a, a black outlet and a gray outlet. And I have to have uh, two hoses then wired into a single hose, especially if I'm in a full hookup, hookup site. So there's four different things. Now, I try not to uh, use the bigger tub when I don't need it. So a lot of this really has to do with what your plans are because you really need to know like what you're going to do in order to know how you want to store the hoses. So that's a really good question. The next one we're going to come up to here is MN. MN says, hi, John, how long a sewer hose and black tank flush hose do you think is sufficient? So to me, you know, the length of the sewer hose, again, depends on what you're going to be doing. So if you're just doing a short trip and you know that you don't have any full hookups and you're just going to like a state park and you have to dump your tanks at the end, it's probably okay just to have one, say, 10-foot hose or so, or 15-foot. Now, if you're going to do a longer trip, right, you may need more than that. Recently, we were down in Florida, and we had two hoses with us and realized that on the site that we're at, they had the sewer cap way in the front of the site, which was like 30 feet away. So we actually, on the fly purchased another hose from Amazon and hooked it on. So we actually had three hoses together, 10 foot hoses strung out and put into that. So it really is dependent on what you need. So you kind of need to be prepared and think ahead of where you're going to be. And you can't always know uh, where you're going. Now you can know if you're going to a full hookup or non-full hookup and some of the things. So you just got to, it really depends on the situation as far as the length of hose. You probably need to have more than one though, at least as a backup with you in case you run into those things. Now, the black tank flush hose is another matter, right? Now, as much as I love R-Pods, for whatever reason, they put the black tank flush inlet on the opposite side of the utility. So if you remember, on the R-Pods, you have your black tank and, and gray tank exhaust there on one side, usually the slide-out side. So when you pull up to a full hookup or you pull up to a dump station, the, the actual black tank flush inlet is on the other side of the entire unit. So you have to walk the hose around and plug it in, which never made any sense to me. But because of that, if you have an R-Pod, you have to have a longer hose. So I usually bring a 25-foot hose. Obviously, this is for non-potable water, and I only use it for the flush, and I don't use it for, you know, fresh water. And then I'll just flush it, and I'll usually have to drape the hose under the unit and wrap it around and then plug it in before I go. So that, again, depends on the unit. You may not have an R-Pod, or you may have a different model that has the black tank on the same side as the utility side, so you don't really need a long hose. So, again, it's dependent on your situation. For me, I need a 25-foot hose. Okay, another question we have on this is Jen. So Jen says, do you leave that four gallons that you put back in the water until the next dump, or do you dump it once you get home? So this is a really good question. So if you remember the uh, black tank, not the black tank, the dump station basics video, it has 12 steps of going through a dump station process. And it's really geared toward newbies to get that process drilled down on what you do. The 12th step of the entire process is once you're done dumping, you pull away from the dump station. And I used Happy Camper. It's a treatment, tank treatment. I put several flushes of the toilet down to have, say, four gallons or so in the black tank when I'm traveling with the Happy Camper kind of doing its thing. Now, the question here is, do you just leave that four gallons in uh, or do you, you dump it when you get home? Well, I don't dump it when I get home. Now, that, again, is dependent on your future plan. So if I'm traveling say uh, I finished at the dump station and I have another trip in a week or two, I'm not going to take that water out. If I have a trip in a couple weeks that's boondocking where I need all of my black tank, then I probably shouldn't put it in because my next trip is going to need all of my tank, right? So it really, again, depends on your future travel plans. For example, if it's the end of the season and you did your last dump station run, 
you probably don't want to put water back in to only come, come home and take it out before you do your winterization. So again, you got to think through what your next step is. For me, during the season, a lot of times I will do this. I'll leave water in the black tank with some happy camper to do its treatment while I'm traveling. And then if I'm camping in the next couple of weeks, I'll just leave it in there and don't worry about it. So again, it depends on how long you're going out, where you're going, etc. Okay, so let's, let's look at some chat questions at this point. See if we have any questions on some of those topics here. Uh, let's see here. Okay, just getting this up on screen. Okay, Bruce and Leanne, do you foil? Do you foil your black tank when finding out? We have 195 with the flush. So there's another question ahead of that. Let's see. Um, oops, uh, Phil, not foil. Got it, Bruce. Sorry about that. Do you fill your black tank when uh, finding out? Sorry, getting again, Bruce. Flushing, not finding. Okay. Do you uh, fill your black tank when flushing out? That's a great question. So there's a little bit of debate here. Like when you're, and you got to be very careful with this, right? Because what we're talking about here, you put your black tank hose, flush hose on and turn it on to start to flush the tank. Now, generally what you want to do is open the black tank valve so the water's running through. But can you keep it closed, I think is the question, and let it fill? Because really that's the best way you're going to flush and have more water pressure and flush. So you can do that, but you've got to be extremely careful, right? So if you do that, you better monitor how much water is coming into the black tank and open it up without it getting too full, because what's going to happen if you don't, like let's say you get distracted and somebody else comes by the dump station, you start chatting, how was your trip, how are your pets, how are your kids, and you forget that, guess what's going to happen? That black tank's going to full of water because you have the valve shut, and it'll overflow, sure as shooting. So be very careful. Now you can do it, but don't be distracted if you're going to do it, right? It's a safety issue, because you don't want black tank water obviously getting in your cabin. So generally, keep it open. If you're going to do a big flush, just make sure if someone's with you, they're monitoring the tank levels and telling you, okay, you need to hit it again, open it up. But if you're doing it, generally, you just need to be extremely careful. Hopefully that helps, Bruce. And that's my practice. Okay, let's see. Um, another question. We got Paul. Hi, John. Did you see the new 20, uh, the 202 pictures that have surfaced on Facebook? Yeah, actually, Paul, we put them up on the live show a couple times ago. We did a deep dive on the 202. It's pretty large. Uh, over 25 feet, uh, pretty heavy. So it rules out a lot of folks who have SUVs, unfortunately. But yeah, we did a, take a really deep dive on the 202 on the uh, the first live episode we did, Paul, on May 23rd. That's up on the channel if you want to take a look. So I think you just have to go through that live episode and find it. I think it's probably like 10 or 15 minutes in. You can find our talk about the 202. But we did bring the whole graphics up and walk through the package. So the other thing interesting, Paul, if you didn't notice on the floor plan, you have to walk through the bathroom every time you want to go to the bedroom. So that was kind of cumbersome in my opinion, but it's big and you're probably going to need to invest in a truck if you want to do something that large. So, okay. Uh, Jason. Hey, Jason, how are you doing? No matter what I do, my wall sensors always show two thirds full. Water is clear after my dumping routine. I know probably something on sensors. Any proven methods to get it all off? <laughs> okay. This is notorious, right? As far as the black tank sensors uh, just not being accurate. Okay, so you have the four little dots. It shows like a you know empty, a third full, two thirds full, and full. Well, what happens is the sensors are on the inside of the tank, and so paper uh, can get stuck on those sensors. And even though you know your tank's empty of stuff, there may be little pieces of uh, paper that are on the sensors, and so it misreads. That's common. I think part of it is if you can flush it really well, that helps. But even that sometimes doesn't work. And I've done that where I flushed, and I know I've got it clean, and I look back at the sensors. 
and it doesn't seem to matter, you still have it shown wrong. So I think part of it is after, after time of being out on your RPOD or RV, you kind of get a feel for how long it really is and if it's really full or not. Um, and we'll get in that a little bit more in, in a few minutes, Jason, as we get in a newbie corner. But generally, there's not a whole lot you can do except try to flush it off. Uh, if you do flush it again, you know, it's this whole trick of can you fill up the tank pretty well uh, carefully and then flush it again instead of just running the, the flush through with the valve wide open. If you can flush it and be careful doing that, you might be able to clear the sensors. But, you know, if you look at this on any forum, it's always a pain, right? It just doesn't work well. Uh, there are things like C the sea level two monitor that you can put in that are different, but even from some of those things, some of the things I've heard, it isn't very accurate. So unfortunately, there's not a great answer in my opinion. Now, if anyone has tried something else, feel free to put it in the chat, open the ideas, but generally I found it, them to be pretty unreliable as well. Okay, uh, Brian, some campsites, the sewer connection is actually higher level than the RPOT outlets. Any suggestions on how to remedy this problem? Yeah, that's... That's unusually uh, a, a troubling thing, but I've run it, into it too, where you know it's on a side hill and the sewer outlet's above where your outlets are and it's not an easy situation to do. Now, the one thing I do is I have the little um, collapsible, uh, they're not steps, they're, they're uh, I don't know the exact name, they're like uh, accordion type uh, supports that go under the tube, the exit tube and the, the tank, um, the tank tube that you can put under. And so it'll raise it up a little bit at the exit and that'll help a little bit, but still you're gonna have an issue. And the, the thing that will happen is if you do that, the pressure of the tank will push it through. So even if it's a little bit higher than the outlet, if you have the hose raised up by some sort of support right at the outlet, it should help gravity a little bit and pressure will push it through. Now, obviously you gotta be very careful as far as backflow and things like that when it is higher, but a little difficult situation, but. Okay, all right. Okay, uh, that's next question here. Let's let's keep, we're gonna have to keep moving on here. We'll keep putting your questions and we'll come back to them. We're gonna switch over to the next section of the show, which is RV news. So the RV news segment of the show is about getting up to speed on the latest RV news that may impact you. We look at various sources and try to boil the news down to a few main items to review. Feel free to ask questions and comments in the chat as I go along. So first up, and we've looked at this several uh, shows in a row here, that traditional forms of travel continue to be hit hard. You know, TSIA checkpoint numbers are showing air travel is recovering very slowly. The past four week numbers, 2019, as you can see in the charter in the blue, and 2020 in the orange, show a $69.8 million, $8 million, $8 million uh, volume of people versus 11 million people this year. And you can see it's trending up, but very slowly. And this past week has gotten about 20%. But you can see that the, the numbers here are just not good for air travel. Now we learned uh, in our last show that Thor put a survey out that 94% of people still plan on doing vacationing in 2020, which really means a huge trend toward car and RV travel. You know, meanwhile, new and used inventories of RVs and RV trader continue to decline. There's been a 13.5% decline of new and used RVs for sale in the past five weeks, down from 156,000 to 135,000. While there are plenty of RVs still available, the drop shows a strong increase in demand com combined with slow production. So very interesting there. What we're seeing is just a really heightened demand for RVs right now. <clears throat> okay, the next item of news is that the Senate passed landmark Great American Outdoor Act. On June 17th, the Senate passed the landmark Great American Outdoor Act by a vote of 73 to 25. A similar bill is being considered in the House. 
RV News is reporting that the GAOA will invest up to $9.5 billion of non-taxpayer funds to address the infrastructure with the National Park Service, U.S. Forest Service, and Bureau of Land Management, <clears throat> and other federal agencies. The bill will also fully fund the Land and Water Conservation Fund and provide $900 million per year in investment in public lands, parks, and trails that are the backbone of the outdoor recreational economy. So this is a summary from the bill for fiscal year 2021 to 2025. There's going to be deposited into the fund an amount equal to 50% of all federal revenues from the development of oil, gas, coal, alternative or renewable energy on federal land. So that's from the summary of the bill. And Mike Happ, who's the president and CEO of Winnebago Industries, is a quote here. Today's passage of the Great American Outdoor Act by the Senate is an important win for not only the RV industry, but for the greater $778 billion outdoor recreational economy. This legislation will ensure safe and enjoyable experience for the millions of RVers across the country by addressing the deferred maintenance backlog on public lands and waters. So the next up on the news is the Campendium Open Stats. So as of 622, you know, 11.47% of U.S.-based campsites are still listed as closed, which is a down from a high of 46% in late April. Only six out of the 50 state park systems are still closed. Almost all of these, five out of the six, are in the Northeast, Connecticut, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and Vermont. The only standout in the West is New Mexico. All other state campground areas are open right now. The next item we're going to look at is the new Winnebago hike, which is a small travel trailer. So in small travel trailer news, Winnebago News is reporting that Winnebago Towables has obtained a utility patent for the exoskeleton structure debuting on the RV manufacturer's new hike travel trailer series. The new travel trailers are made to accommodate more active outdoor lifestyles. And the new exoskeleton is touted as being suited to carry things like bikes, kayaks, and skis. That's right, you can now tote your bikes on your RV. Most of the small floor plans look surprisingly similar to the R-Pod models, by the way. <laughs> so I don't know if anyone remembers the Winnie drop, but I do when I was first shopping for R-Pods. So let's take a quick look at a few of the photos and floor plans of this new hike. Okay, so first, if you'll notice here, this is a pretty nice interior. This is the one of the hike models here. It's got a really nice counter surface, double sink. Pretty nice looking interior, nice and bright. Uh, I like this photo. It just looks like a nice, well-designed interior for this hike. And as we keep moving on here, let's look at some of the floor plans. So this is one of the, they have several 20-foot floor plans, which is very similar. Those of you who know R-Pods, it's very similar to the size of, say, an R-Pod 179 or an R-Pod 191, et cetera, 180. So right here, if you'll notice, though, if you have an R-Pod 180, this looks an awful lot like an R-Pod 180, right? It's got the bed on the front side. It's got a, a kitchen on the slide out, a dinette, and it's got a big bathroom. Uh, so not too different from an R-Pod 180, in my opinion. The next one we're looking at here is the H-171. Uh, again, a bed in the front, kind of a, a fuller shower here. It reminds me a lot of the R-Pod 190. So very similar to the 190 layout. And we got a few more of these to look at here. The 172, uh, a big U-shaped dinette in the front, bunk beds in the back. Now this is interesting because R-Pod is just not making this model anymore. They got rid of the 176, and we're gonna talk about this in a minute when we talk about the small travel trailers in more detail. But you'll notice this has bunk beds. And for a smaller travel trailer, it's not that many. They have a few larger travel trailer models here, the 210. So you notice this has a, a Murphy bed in the front and a bigger bathroom in the back. So interesting here too. 
And another big one here, which has a U-shaped dinette in the back, in the front, and a big bed in the back. So a lot of different types of, of um, floor plans here, some of which look a lot like the, uh, like the R-Pod. So let's talk a little bit about the death of the small R-Pod. You know, taking a glance at the Forest River R-Pod floor plan page, and you can see this up on the screen, they basically got rid of every small, small uh, floor plan unit except the 171. The 171 in the top left corner here is the only one less than 20 feet now. Uh, they've gotten rid of the 172 and several of the other smaller units. So it's easy to see that a major decision to move the entire brand up in size has taken place over the past few years. In the past couple of years, we've seen the introduction of the larger pods, the 192, 193, 195, and the 196, which all come over 22 feet. And this summer, and Paul was talking about this, uh, the 202 is coming out, which you know, tops the tape measure close to 25 feet front to back, so they're not small anymore. So what's missing are the smaller pods with only the 171 remaining on the page uh, available for purchase. So if you're looking for a smaller R pod, you may want to look on the used market. Given this, we're seeing the, are we seeing the end of the small full service travel trailer in the next few years and quite possibly. So here's my take. I do tend to think that the trend toward larger trailers is here to stay. And that'll be tough to get a new small full service trailer sometime in the next several years. Some of the reasons is economics. As a smaller trailer sell for less and yet require much of the same labor inputs that a slightly larger trailer requires. Also, the demand is simply waning as more people want space and amenities like full bass. The smaller trailers you know, just can't accommodate this. My first trailer was a 2016 RPOD 171, which is a very nice unit. And I would think there'd always be a demand for an entry level small and lightweight trailer for those stepping up from tents or pop-ups. I would hope companies like Forest River would think twice before killing off the 171 at some point, as I likely would never have owned any trailer if it weren't for the availability of a small trailer like the R-Pod 171. So let's just take a moment here and see if there's any more questions or comments. And we have something here. Let's just click this up here. Bruce again. Uh, Bruce says, I read where you can put ice cubes in the black tank when traveling to clean it. And that's true, Bruce. There is, there is that possibility you can do that. People actually say what you can do is put a bag of ice down in the black tank while you're traveling. It'll bounce around and shake some things free. So not a bad idea if you want to try it. I haven't tried that. It may be a bit noisy. Of course, you're traveling, you know, in your tow vehicle, so you probably won't hear it. But I've heard that works a little bit. And then, of course, the ice will melt and just become water. But worth a try. See what you Maybe try it and see what you think. Or if anyone else would try it, feel free to uh, put it in the chat. Uh, Paul, my question earlier was related to the new 202 pictures released yes just yesterday on the RPOD owners forum page. Okay, Paul, yeah, I haven't seen those. I just saw the earlier one, so good point, Paul. I think uh, I'll have to come back to that as I, I don't have access to it immediately, but we can potentially come back to it. Okay, and we're gonna go on to Newbie Corner. So the Newbie Corner segment is all about covering a topic focused on helping those just getting started with RVing. If you're new, feel free to let us know in the chat if you want to and ask questions. Today, we'll talk about a few dump station topics as we're on dump stations basically for today. So here we go. The first one is tank monitoring. And we actually already got a question a little bit about this from Jason. So after a while, the black tank monitoring system usually comes, becomes inaccurate given the sensors are inside the tank can be covered with paper and give a misreading, right? Even showing full after you just dumped. These sensors are notoriously inaccurate. One solution is to flush the black tank regularly when at a dump station, but sometimes this is difficult to do when there's a line behind you at the station, right? The dump station basics video 
talks more about dump station etiquette, and you should have watched this if you haven't already, if you, especially if you're new at this. It's a video that tells the 12 steps about helping you in the dump station. You know, what about time to dump? How do you know when your, your tanks are ready to be dumped? You know, from experience, and this is just simply my experience here, you know, given a 30-gallon uh, tank system on the R-Pods and full use each day, meaning I'm not using the bathhouse, generally we've gone about eight days, maybe even nine days before needing to dump the black tank. Now, that's very dependent on usage, right? Like how much uh, you use that, right? These gray, the gray tank is actually less than eight or nine days if you rinse dishes uh, down the drain with a medium water stream and take longer showers. So it's very important to understand. In my opinion, the first thing that's going to hurt you in any kind of longer trip is not the black tank, it's the gray tank management. So we'll talk about that more in just a second. So here's some tips to lowering black tank volume, right, when you're on a trip and you don't want to hit the dump station too quickly. Obviously, you know, occasionally using the campsite bathrooms if they're available. Now this is important because if you have availability of the campsite bathrooms and you're not worried about using them, which is maybe a little different these days, you know, that's an option to keep the volume out of your black tank. Now, in the current environment, probably not going to do that too much, and they may even run into campsites where you don't have access to them at all. And the second thing is the potential of bringing a portable waste tote tank. Now, these are interesting as well because these portable waste tote tanks, you'll see these things, you know, strapped up when you're going down the interstate, right, on the back of a fifth wheel or an R-Pod or something, you know, where people are actually bringing extra holding tanks so you can just dump your black tank into this and then run this up with your tow vehicle to the waste station, the sanitation station, and then, you know, then uh, basically dump this. <clears throat> the problem with this, it's another thing to tote, right? So it's another big piece of equipment you're toting, and it's not the cleanest thing in the world. So that's, there's a couple options. Now, here's some tips to lowering gray tank volume. So, and again, I would say the gray tank is the thing you need to actually be more careful of if you're thinking about going out on longer trips. First of all, you can opt to use disposable plates, cups, or bowls, or utensils. And it's something you may not have thought about, but you don't need to, you know, necessarily use, you know, chinaware in your R-Pod, and you can use paper things, right, to lower your use of water and rinsing. Again, lower your water stream when rinsing. If you are washing pans, pots and pans and things, just lower your water stream. Uh, make sure you're not, don't have it on like you have it on the house. You're going to end up filling up your gray tank really quickly. The other thing that you can do is use a plastic sink insert to catch some of the rinse water. A big deal is like taking Navy showers. If you don't know what a Navy shower is, it's basically you get into the shower, you turn the water on and get wet, you turn the water off, you soap up, you turn the water on to rinse, and you move on. And so you take very little water to do it. You can do it in just a gallon or a couple gallons even to really lower the amount of water you're using from your fresh tank and also the amount that's going in your gray tank. Another option people don't think about is using your outside shower on your RV. And then, of course, uh, using the camp uh, ground showers, if you feel comfortable doing that, you can absolutely lower the water going into the gray tank. So there's a few tips to note as far as lowering the use of your gray tank. Okay, the next thing we're going to talk about is just keeping thing, things clean. One issue to be careful of is your black tank to, is going to accumulate solids over time. If all you ever do is do a quick dump and never really flush the black tank, solids will definitely accumulate over time and actually shrink the size of your tanks. So here's some tips for keeping the black tank clean and operational. Whenever possible, you want to flush longer. You know, when you get an opportunity at a dump station, don't be in a rush. If you're at a public dump station, like at a state park, and there's no one behind you, then take a little more time and, and flush the tanks a little better. I try to do that regularly. So don't be in a rush when you're at the dump station. If you have a long line, obviously you can't take too much time because people are waiting behind you. But if you don't have anyone behind you, take your time and, you know, just see it as maintenance to your tanks. 
Another thing is let, and we talked about this earlier, let water accumulate to two thirds or so and then empty. So you gotta be very careful of this and repeat this a few times if you have time to do it. So that's basically let the water rise up in your black tank a little bit so you have some water pressure to flush it better. Again, be careful, make sure you're monitoring the, the levels. Again, another idea is just be contrarian, depart on a less busy day. If all you're ever doing is departing, you know, a state park on a Sunday afternoon, you're gonna find it's very busy. So you can actually depart on a less busy day, depart on a Monday. Or even be aware that, you know, you could actually buy an extra night and just depart really late on Sunday. Or you can leave very early on a Sunday if you have to leave on a Sunday before the dump station gets too busy. So remove the stress by leaving earlier or remove the stress by booking another night. And it's price dependent, but some places aren't very expensive at all and you can book another night and just leave on Monday or leave late on Sunday. However, if you have full hookups, you know, make sure you make time on the morning you're leaving to do a thorough flush. I mean, you're paying for the full hookups. It makes, time, it makes sense to actually use them and uh, flush some water through that tank and keep the black tank as clean as you can. Another thing I'd recommend is get a clear elbow for your dump hose. Now, many people don't realize that, but they have the clear elbows you can put on. And that way you can monitor how clean the water is actually running out of your black tank you know when it's done. And I'm a huge proponent of Happy Camper. Happy Camper is a, an additive you add to the tank and it breaks down the solids. I've used it for several years and just think it's fantastic. And that's also on the Amazon site, uh, storefront, John Marucci shop, uh, Amazon. You can go find that. This Happy Camper works really well. I'd highly recommend it. More so than some of the chemical treatments, this works extremely well. And we talked about this earlier, but leave you know water, four to five gallons in the black tank between trips to do, uh, you know, during the season and do some you know, flushing around in there while you're traveling. Very important though, is at the end of the season, find a place where you can do an especially thorough job to flush your tanks. So there's a few pointers on keeping your blank tank healthy and not losing volume on the black tank. So let's hop over here and see if we have any questions after that. Uh, let me just go over the screen here. Let's see here. Uh, Kevin, newbie, about to take first trip from Virginia to Colorado and back. Okay, that's a big trip. Uh, and uh, hopefully it goes really well. Um, congratulations on being a newbie. It's gonna be a fun trip. Just be aware of some of the things we're talking about, especially as you're at the dump station. And you know, if you have any questions, we have actually 12, if everyone doesn't know this, we have an entire basics video playlist on the channel, on the YouTube channel. It has 12 of the most basic things, I think, for newbies. So Kevin, if you had a chance to look at that, good idea before you go. But have a great trip either way. And we have another quick question, Zach. Uh, when you have full hookups, I heard you should not uh, keep black tank open and instead let it fill. That's true. So what we're talking about here is when you're not flushing and you're hooked up the full hookups and you actually have the black tank hose into the sewer hose at the full hookup campsite, you want to keep your black tank valve closed. The reason is there's a possibility of, you know, odors coming back in from the main sewer system and, you know, even hopefully never critters or anything getting up into your black tank or things crawling up in. So definitely keep it closed. Let it fill up, right? And then you can open any time. When I've been at full hookup campsites, by the way, I love them because you can take longer showers and don't worry about rinsing. You can just go out there every couple days and open up the tanks and flush them, then close them back, right? So it's a good idea to just keep them closed when you're not, uh, not actually flushing. So good question. Great question, Zach. Thanks for that. Uh, Diane, question, newbie here. Is it okay to use bleach to sanitize the discharge hoses? That's a good question. I think you probably can use a very light solution I'm just trying to think, some of the hoses, uh, depends on the hose quality, you may be a little careful of that it may over time diminish the strength of them and you don't wanna do that. We do a very thorough rinse 
uh, take it to the back with a hose and rinse it out. But I think, you know, it's possible you could do some soaking. Just be aware you got some fixtures on there, Diane. So I don't know the best solution for that. If you do, I would recommend a very light bleach mix, right? And not too heavy on the bleach. Okay. Another question here. How much of a problem have you found with fresh black and gray tanks at less than half full with slushing around of the liquids causing trailers to sway badly when going from one spot to another? I really haven't. Now, this is something early on in my R-potting a couple years ago. This came up in one of the forum questions. We'll talk about it in a second when the forums we're going to talk about. But, you know, are you going to get trailer sway by all the weight in the tanks going back and forth? And really, you're not going to get it too much. Now, the caveat here is you need to understand, like, what... What tanks are behind the axle and what tanks are in front? So, for example, if your gray tank's behind the axle, if you don't know this, the more weight you have behind the axle, the more likely you're going to have sway problems. So you want to remove weight from behind the axle. So you probably don't want to travel with, like, a gray tank full. Like, on the 179, I have the gray tank only is the main tank behind the axle. And so if that's full, yeah, I'm adding, you know, a few hundred pounds of weight, water weight, behind the axle. It's probably not a good idea. If they're half full or whatever, there's this whole idea of they're going to slosh back and cause it. I think it's more about if you have a lot of weight, heavy weight behind the axle is going to cause sway, not so much if you have some sloshing back and forth. Now, a lot of that's dependent, right? If your tank's way in front of the axle and you have it full, it probably isn't going to be the same issue. So I don't know that. I think that may be a little overblown, uh, but I, I, you know, my, the, the forums that I followed, you know, it's a little bit overblown as far as having a half tank full. Generally, if you're traveling, you don't want your tanks full at all right, generally, right, except the few gallons in the black sloshing. I don't like to travel with my tanks full. You want to travel light uh, when you're pulling with your tow vehicle. Great question there. Thank you for that. Uh, I've got another one here, Joanne. I just put uh, a Langen bracket. The table seems to lean down on the end away from the bracket. Is that normal? Uh, if not, do you have suggestions? So I'm, I've got to apologize here, John, because I'm not sure what a Langen bracket is. I'm, it's my own um, issue there, not understanding totally the question. If you're talking about a table uh, that's leaning down when you're actually uh, strapping it down, then uh, not sure on that. So I'm, I'm probably going to have to pass on that one. Apologize. Now, if anyone else has it, an answer to that, feel free to put that in the chat. Okay. And let's go ahead and jump ahead. So we're going to go to the spotlight section. It's interesting today. You know, the spotlight segment of the show is all about highlighting a specific resource so that we become more informed in making decisions. Today, we're going to look at the RPOD Owners Forum as a great resource. We'll also look at my latest favorite piece of safety gear. We're going to focus on two resources here. First, I want to show you a piece of safety gear I'm pretty geeked about, right? This is the Fastwind 4-pack, 15.5-inch um, collapsible traffic cone. So hopefully you can see this. They pack away like this. They come in a package of four. We have them on the Amazon store. Basically, they're collapsible traffic cones. Really cool. They have a couple reflective stripes on there. Really good, great purposes, not just when you have an emergency on the side of the road. I love the fact that they pack away so small. But also, you know, one of the videos we had is a basic lot setup. Like if you're alone, if you're traveling alone in your R-Pod, you need to back into a site. One of the things I recommended is like putting a cone in each corner where you want to kind of angle the back of your your R-Pod, your travel trailer too, so you have a mark in your mirrors to go to. And these work really good for that too. It also works good on your driveway if you happen to have your, your tow vehicle parked across a, uh, a walkway so that kids will know that your truck's there. So this is something that's uh, good to know. Really nice product. I'm pretty geeked about this. So you can pick these up there on the Amazon store. Great safety gear there for you. The second thing we're going to look at is the R-Pod Owners Forum. Now I've been using and participating 
on the forum since I first got my RPOD 171 in 2016. It's still my go-to place for getting questions answered. You know, I prefer the forum to other options because of the season nature and technical acumen of the contributors. In my view, it's easy to get solid counsel on the forum as those who regularly contribute have elevated knowledge and experience. You know, besides the quality of the council, the best thing about this forum is that it's kind of old school and very organized, making it easy to find relevant topics and prior posts on topics. For example, if I want to discover how someone put a lithium battery into their R-Pod and what they had to do for changing things around, you know, and I need a, do I need or do I not need a new converter to do so, it's fairly easy to search and find all the threads where this was talked about. Now here I search for lithium on the RPOD owners forum and all these threads return. And I actually found uh, someone who had done this very setup and put a lithium battery and talked about how they have to change their converter out to actually charge that lithium battery. So it's really important to kind of, as a resource, to understand what's out there. There's many different places you can go for counsel. My go-to place is the RPOD Owners Forum just because it's old school, it's very organized, it's easy to get uh, answers and find things, and you have very seasoned people on there. So there's a couple of resources on uh, Spotlight. And guess what, folks? It's time to open it up for Q&A. So in the Q&A section, uh, any RV-related question, it doesn't have to be about sanitation or a dump station or anything, it can be about anything. You know, just remember, it helps us if you just type question in front of your in front of your comment or in all caps will really help us. And so we're just going to take a moment and uh, just pause for a second here. And, and if anybody has questions at all, I know we've already had a few, feel free to put them in the chat and we'll try to cover it. It doesn't have to be about the topic on uh, Q&A uh, right now. It can be about anything RPOD. Or if you have a newbie question, feel free. Don't be ashamed. Uh, we're all there at one point. So let's just have take a moment and give you guys a chance to uh, think of any questions you have and we'll we'll get going on this here. Anybody at all here? Let's see here. Give it a, a few seconds here for questions. Okay, Zach, looks like you got one here. Uh, what's the top up upgrade for a new RV? Okay, so top upgrade. That's a great question. So what do you want to do like out of the gate if you get a new RV? Uh, it kind of depends, Zach. If I think about I want a, an RV to generally just go camping on weekends versus I want something that's going to be like a really good boondocking RV where I'm just wanting to get away. You know, to me, if I'm just going to get a boondocking unit, then I'm going to probably upgrade my batteries, try to get a solar solar in there in some way, or even buy a generator. So that could be a pretty expensive upgrade. But if I'm going to go boondocking, I want my unit to be really for boondocking. That would probably be my first step is to make it boondock ready. If I'm camping for things, you know, if I'm just going weekend warring type thing, camping, uh, I'm just trying to think there's several things. To me, probably the first thing I would do on an RV, if it doesn't have it, is a power tongue jack. I'll just be honest with you because I don't want to hand crank. It's really a pain, especially if you have a weight distribution hitch to hang crank up and down the front tongue to get that the weight off of the weight distribution hitch to un, you know unhook it and get it properly set up again. It's really laborsome. So my first primary thing, and it probably actually would be on either one, whether I'm going for boondocking or a regular camper, would be to get a power tongue jack. You know, and that's that's probably just out of convenience, but I just don't want to crank. I've done that before and don't like it too much, and I think the power tongue jack is the first thing I do, honestly. Great question, though. Uh, question from Jenny. What is the longest you've stayed uh, in my camper? Okay, that's a great question. Now, 
And I think the issue here is, you know, how long have I gone out? I think, Jenny, and feel free to clarify if I don't have the question right, but how long have I actually gone out on a trip? And that's uh, quite a long time in terms of going south to Florida, uh, just camping in a long time. So, yes, you know, you can go out. Any one time is, is really, you know, a week to two weeks is max, but longer trips, you can string those along, especially if you're doing a winter getaway or going out west or something. You just have to have a plan well. Uh, but for any one stint, usually, again, eight days or so to go to the Black Tank uh, dump station, and then, you know, you can stay longer at the same place or go forward. Hopefully that helped. Another question, what is your thoughts on possible blowouts with a single axle versus double axle? That's a great question, you know. Uh, I've had single axle and I have a double axle now. My Keystone Bullet's a double axle. Obviously, if, a blow, if you have a blowout, a tire blowout on single axle, you're pretty much done um, and you need to get over and get that fixed. Now, this kind of leads into the whole question of tire safety. And if you don't know, we have a tire safety basics video out there. It talks all about tire safety. I just got new tires put on my RPOD 179 after three and a half years, 9,000 miles. I'm very cognizant of tire safety. You got to look at the date stamp on the tires to make sure that your tires are fresh. They're not over four or five years old. Uh, but to me, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure in this question. So I have an EEZ TPMS, tire pressure monitoring system, I use and I've used on all my trips for the last few years that I think is fantastic. It lets you regularly monitor how much PSI is in the tires and how hot the tires are getting. And so what you really want to do is prevent this at all costs, right? So the first thing is, you know, you want to think, of, especially if you're going longer trips that are farther away from your house, you want to make sure you think about a TPMS as safety equipment. And they're not cheap, but they really work well. And then the other thing is, uh, if you're not comfortable with the tires you have in any way, you know, do the research and think about an upgrade before you do especially longer trips. If you plan on a five, six, seven thousand mile trip out west and your tires are already a couple of years old, you may want to think about upgrading before you go and get something that you think is top of the line. Remember, your tire is really your number one safety feature on your on your travel trailer, whether you're dual axle or single. Of course, if you have dual axle, you actually have another tire there, but that doesn't mean it can't be problems. I, I use my TPMS both on the Keystone Bolt with four tires or on the R-Pod with two. I use it every time I go out because I think that it's really important to understand that you got proper tire pressure. It's not getting too hot and that monitors for that, that uh, well. So hopefully that answers it somewhat and what I think about the safety on that. Uh, another question, it looks like uh, Jason again, your opinion on long travel with a single axle versus double. We are getting ready for long journeys, mostly driven for uh, eight hours. We may up, upgrade down the road and was wondering. So are you talking about uh, just, uh, I'm not totally clear on the question, Jason. I think you're saying, should we upgrade to a double axle trailer for long trips or stay on single axle? Um, I don't have any problem going on long trips. I've done two long trips to Florida from Michigan with my R-Pod, no issues at all. I think I'm just monitoring the tires carefully. So I don't think it's a, it's a big deal. Uh, as far as upgrading necessarily. Uh, just make sure you got good tires, monitor pressure, etc. And I don't think you should have a problem with an R-Pod or a uh, single axle for longer trips. Um, and if that's not right, Jason, just ask again if I've missed it. Question from uh, Christy. I travel with dogs. Okay. Any ideas on what uh, do you use to monitor temperature and alert you to issues? That's a great question. We do not leave them very often for long periods of the time. So I think, first of all, uh, if you're not boondocking, right, and you're plugged into shore power, uh, leave the air conditioner on, right? Make sure it doesn't get hot in there anytime. So just leave it on if you're going to leave your dogs there. Uh, if you're in a situation where it's warmer temperature, 
uh, you, you know, you want to make sure that you take your dogs with you. Uh, if you have, for example, we're at Takamana Falls a couple years ago and the power went out. So if I had a pet in my R-Pod, uh, that would have been a problem. So I think you just need to be really careful in this situation. And generally, when you, when you don't have to, don't leave your pets in the travel trailer at all. But if you do have to, make sure you leave the AC on. Um, there's also uh, things that you can use as far as temperature gauges uh, that you can leave in there. And I'm sure that, and I haven't researched this, by the way. I know in my house I do this, but I can check the temperature in my house when I'm away. And we have that on one of our videos on monitoring the home front. But there, there's similar tools, I'm sure, that you can use that monitor the temperature inside the trailer that you can get uh, on, you know, an app for in your phone to check in. So there's a few things, hopefully, to follow up on. And let's see here. Zach, does AAA roadside assistance cover RV repair? That's a good question. I think the situation here is that you have to get a kind of a rider policy on those. You need to look into that. I know AAA, there's other things. Good Sam's or several uh, insurance companies that you can look at. Uh, I would talk to my insurance agent and ask them about that. I think it may be a little extra for from RV coverage, but I'm pretty sure most of the companies do provide it. So you're going to need to research and find out about that. Uh, Diane, looks like another question, Diane. Let's see here. I was told at a frog rally uh, to dump some gray first to help solids not stick to the hose, then dump black, then the rest of the gray. I have 179 and a lot of work. Yeah, I have a 179 too, and it is a lot of work. Because obviously you're going from one, you know, they have two separate outlets and you're going from the black to the gray. Um, you know, I don't do that. I don't know that it's that important. Basically, I dump the black tank first and then I dump the gray tank and flush out the uh, any solids that are in the black tank ho at, in the hose at that point. Never had any issues. I don't know that it's essential to do that. Um, I don't totally get the reasoning why you want to do that first, but I guess what they're saying, if there's stuff in there already, which means you didn't clean it between trips or it's, you know, still the gray tank didn't fully do it, then you need to, to do something different. But to me, I just do the black first, then move the hose right to the other side of the gray and flush, and it usually works fine, so I don't have a problem with that. Okay, any, let me look if there's any other question. I think we're good. So I think we're going to call that. It's quarter to the hour. Appreciate everybody uh, on the call today. You know, that's going to do it for today's show. Thanks, everybody, for joining the live show again, and thanks for watching on the YouTube replay for catching it that way. If you haven't already subscribed, you know, we'd love to have you join the On the Road team. You can also join us on Instagram and Twitter. We actually put a lot of extra material on Instagram, if you didn't know that, and on Twitter. This is John Marucci. Stay safe. Have a great rest of the weekend, and so long for now.